Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Heavenly Father, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And above all else, Lord Jesus, set our hearts on fire with a love for you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Please be seated. We are finishing up today a sermon series, a kind of a mini sermon series that we've been doing over the last few weeks since the day of Pentecost, where we've been in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. Uh, and we have been drawing parallels between Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2 uh, and, and the story of creation in, gener- in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. And so the summary of the last few weeks is, is that just as in creation, when God created Adam and breathed into him the breath of life, he then gave Adam and Eve the a mission to go and be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And then we see in the time of recreation through Jesus Christ, that Jesus breathes on the apostles when he talks about them receiving the Holy Spirit. And then he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Go and make disciples of all nations. In other words, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And so we see how this plan of God, using his people as he has created them and recreated them for his work and mission, uh, is central to who we are as the church. And so we've spent time talking about what is the church's mission, what should we be doing. We went through Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, that explains all of these things. And this is all good and right and important. There's also a danger in that. If we talk a lot about what the church is to do and the mission that we are on and what we should be about in our actions, we can mistakenly think that the church is just another task, that there's, that there's things for us to do, 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 and we can accidentally turn the gospel of grace into a gospel of trying harder and working harder and another place of exhaustion for us. And so as we've been trying to draw these parallels between Genesis 1 and 2 and Acts 1 and 2, one of the the significant points of Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is the idea of rest and Sabbath. And so I've wondered, as as we have seen these parallels, where is that present in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2? And and I've, I've got it but I'm not going to tell you yet. Okay, I want, to do a, I want to do a little background as to where what this Sabbath thing is and why when we talk about what the church should be doing, we actually need to start with what we should stop doing for a little while. Okay, so let's, let me explain. Let's jump back into Genesis chapter one and chapter two. Uh, as I said, the Sabbath plays an important role in here. What we see in Genesis chapter one, the end of chapter one and into Genesis chapter Two, the very beginning of chapter two. First of all, just let me say as a side note, the word of God is without error and breathed out by God. It teaches us the little numbers that are on there, those aren't breathed out by God. Somebody put those in there and sometimes there's just no telling why they put them where they put them. It's the weirdest thing. The Genesis chapter one has six days of creation and then the seventh day of creation is the first part of chapter two. And then it starts the story over again in creation. I don't know why that is. 
it's a mystery. We can ask whoever it is that put those numbers in there later on. But what we see is in, in Genesis chapter one at the end, in day six of creation, God created humankind. In all the things we just said, breathed into life, gave them the mission that they're going to be about, be fruitful, multiply. And then day seven, God looks around, sees all the things that he's created, sees that it's good, and he rests on the seventh day. And Adam and Eve rest on that day too. So what you can see there is although the scope of their work has been laid out for them, the first thing that they are to do when they are created is rest. He didn't say, look, normally you would rest on this day, but you really haven't been doing anything for the past 24 hours since you've been created. Uh, and so we're going to wait a week and you can, you can rest next week. Like they start their life with rest. And this is a very significant thing that we're going to talk about what is happening here is that God is setting a pattern in our lives of his creation and us as human beings that we're made in his image. We share in his creative efforts. We share as co-regents of creation. There's a ruling that we, that we bring to creation itself, but that we don't have all of the creative energy and endless power that God has. That's his. We're made in his likeness, we're not him. And so whereas he can create as much as he wants to create without ever tiring, we must start our endeavors, whether as the church as a whole or individually in our vocations and our lives, we must start with resting in the confidence of who God is, what he's done, and in his sovereignty, the fact that he is in charge and not us. That's the pattern that we see set in Genesis. And so this is so vitally important that it moves just from a theological description of things in Genesis to a command for the people of Israel in Exodus. Most famously, the Sabbath is, uh, is listed in the Ten Commandments. That in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, it says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals. Even your animals get to rest on the Sabbath, nor the alien within your gates. That's not like, you know, like aliens. That's like foreigners who are in the people of, of Israel, non-Israelites who are there. Everyone gets to rest. The point is, everything rests. That the first mention of the Sabbath, actually, before it's codified into the, into the Ten Commandments that we have it, the first reference to the Sabbath is actually in Exodus 16. And what's happening in Exodus 16 is that the people of Israel have been brought out of Egypt, that whole Red Sea thing where it split, they went across, it came in, and now they're, they're out, and they're wandering around in the desert on their way to the Promised Land, and they're hungry. And so they pray that God would feed them, and he uh, and he rains down this bread-like stuff from heaven. It's called manna. It, manna literally means, what is it? That's what the word means. They don't even know what it is. But God is giving them food of some sort, uh, and, uh, and they are to collect it. Now, what he tells them in Exodus 16 is, you're going to collect it each day, and only as much as you need for that day. If you try to put it in Tupperware, keep it for the next day, it's going to start stinking and it's going to rot and there's going to be maggots in it. You cannot keep it till the next day. Why? Because they are to trust God's provision every day. 
every single day. And so they're not saying, well, God provided today. Will he provide tomorrow? God is going, you got to learn how to trust me. And that means every morning, the, the, my mercies are new. The food is new every morning. And you can't start storing it up for yourself. Except there's one exception to this. There's not going to be any food on the seventh day. That's the Sabbath. And so on the sixth day, I'll give you twice as much. You can collect twice as much and it's not going to rot or anything. So you can keep it so you have food to eat on the seventh day, which brings also then back to us to the trusting, right? Is God going to provide? Is God sovereign? Are his promises true? Can I trust him every day and on the day that there isn't going to be anything, that there's going to be scarcity, that he's actually going to provide for us in advance of those things as well? It's all about trust. Do we trust God? This is the opposite of what happened in Genesis chapter three, where Adam and Eve, our first parents, right, said, well, I don't know if we can trust God. He gave us all the fruit of the, of the garden to eat, except that one. And he said, it's because that's bad for us. But I'm beginning to think that's gonna be good for us and he just doesn't want us to have it. The ultimate sin, the primary sin is not trusting God. That's, that's the root of Adam and Eve's sin that has then made its way into us and is the root of all of our sin, our rebellion against him. Because when we don't trust God, we still need someone to be in charge. Someone has to provide. Someone has to know what is right and wrong. Someone has to bear the burden of, of all things of the universe. And when we don't trust God, we put that on our own shoulders. We become little mini-gods. And we feel like we have the responsibility to make sure that we provide for everything in our own lives and that we decide what is right and what is wrong and that we have to make moral judgments about everything and that we have to protect and we have to, it's so much pressure. And as we've already established, we're not God. We're made in his likeness, but we're not God. And so when we try to become sovereign in our own world, we get eaten up by anxiety and pressure and depression and uh, and and it feels like there's no way out because we're trying to be something we're not, God of the universe, even your own life. And so God has made it this rhythm for us where, where we have to uh, take a day every week. You're going to work for six days, but every day, remember all that stuff that you're doing. It's not up to you to fix everything, to earn everything, to make everything, to protect everything, to parent everything. Every week, we have to practice that God is in charge. And that means he commands us to stop. He commands us to rest. And these commands are still good for us. Like, no, we're not Old Testament people. And so there, the, the ceremonial aspects of the law of the Old Testament have been fulfilled. We don't have to not eat pork. Um, we don't have to make sacrifices. Jesus has taken care of all of those things. But the moral law of the Old Testament the, the, like the Ten Commandments themselves, they're still in place because that's the character of God. It says, you do not murder. With Jesus coming along, that doesn't mean we can start murdering people, right? There's still, there's, still a, uh, there's still a right and wrong, and that's the moral character of who God is. And so one of the commands of the Ten Commandments is honor the Sabbath day. It's still a command that's in place for us alongside of you shall have no other gods before me. You shouldn't murder anybody. You shouldn't commit adultery. You shouldn't steal things. You shouldn't lie. All of those things are really important. And honor the Sabbath day. 
and honor your mother and father. Happy Father's Day, everyone. Um, that, uh, that's, that's in there as well. You can read that to your kids today. So, so this command for the Sabbath is God telling us we have to practice his sovereignty. And we're not good at this. Like later on in Exodus chapter 16, even though he told them not to gather on the seventh day, it says this, Exodus 16, 27. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. And then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. So even at the very beginning of this, we're not good at the trusting of the Lord for all things. That some part of us thinks that it's not the giving of the Lord that provides, but it's our gathering. And so we don't stop because if we think that we stop, then the manna won't come in. And this doesn't just mean money. This doesn't just mean work. It means control of everything. And Sabbath is supposed to remind us God's in charge. Relax. Relax. It goes on to say that, uh, that as the Sabbath is even more, more fleshed out, it says in Deuteronomy chapter 5, um, there's a reiteration of the Ten Commandments. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So the Sabbath is connected with the creation story and God resting. It's also connected with God's saving power in, in the Exodus. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and you've been brought out. So God commanded you to keep the Sabbath, to remember that it's by God's power that you were saved, not your own. So there's this aspect of we have to trust God for the macro things, like our salvation itself. But in order to, to trust him for the big things, we actually have to practice that trust weekly in the little things. When we trust him each week for our provision and, for, and to rest in him and to gather in him one day a week, that's where we build up the strength of learning how to trust him so that when big things come along, like you're diagnosed with cancer or your child is diagnosed with cancer, you don't try to start trusting God then. Because if you haven't been able to every week leading up to then, it's even harder when those really big things come along. And then if you magnify that even further, can you trust him for your salvation? Can you trust his truth? Can you trust his church? Can you trust, if we're not practicing these things, then our trust gets eaten away. And so God's command, remember every week, remember who saved you. Remember what God has done. Remember who created you. And then, there's actually a connection. The, the description of the, of the Sabbath doesn't stop there. Colossians tells us that, that the Sabbath, amongst other things, are, quote, a shadow of the things that were to come. And the reality is found in Christ. Hebrews picks up on this and says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work just as God did from his. So in other words, there's a looking forward to an ultimate Sabbath where one day we, do, we truly do rest in the very presence of God in heaven itself, whether we die to go be with him or whether Christ comes first and we're all together in that, that there's going to be an ultimate true rest. And we practice heaven when we Sabbath, when we go all of our toil under the sun has an ultimate end 
And that is our service of Christ forever with him and resting with him. And when we forget that, it can feel like our toil is endless. It never stops. The struggle is always here. There's always the need to, to, uh, to earn, to gather, to, to fix, to change the world. There's always this, this pressure unless we stop once a week and go, okay, stopping reminds me that there is an end to all of this as well. And that's when we enter into the rest of Christ. So Leviticus actually tells us too that the, that, that the, uh, that the Sabbath, is a time for solemn assembly. So we're to come together on the Sabbath as well. Not We don't take a break from God on the Sabbath. We take a break from everything else that distracts so that we can focus on it. And so we come together just like this. And so we come together to remember all that he's done in the past, how he's providing and still present with us right now and practicing the presence of God in that way. And we're looking forward to the future rest that we're going to have with him in, the, in our ultimate destination with Christ himself. This is all the Sabbath, and it all comes back to, do we trust in him or not? I find it fascinating to, to draw parallels then between this understanding of the Sabbath and, uh, and, the, uh, and Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. Where is the Sabbath in this? I find this fascinating. So Jesus died, rose again, spent uh, spent 40 days with his disciples. Then he ascended into heaven. He told them they're going to be his witnesses. He ascended into heaven before the, right in front of them. Now, this seems like the perfect time to then send them out to the work, to the work of mission, right? What an inspiring event. If you're going to inspire a group of people and get them gathered around a cause, like, um, like the mission of the church, doing so as you are bodily ascending into heaven is a good moment right? That's a, that's, a, that's a great inspirational leadership time, right? Why didn't he just say, I'm going to go now, and as he's going up, be like, now you go out, right? And they're, okay, right? This is great. But what happens after the ascension? Nothing for 10 days. Nothing. I, I believe that they're supposed to take those 10 days to sit in the completeness of what Jesus has done before they're to go out and do the work that he has called them to do. They have to remember that the battle is already won before they start doing their part in the fighting. That, that Jesus has completed all things. He's, he is not so urgent that he has to go, and you have to fix this right now. Get on it. Like For thousands of years, humanity has been in rebellion against me, and so time's ticking, man. Go. He's like, it's done. It's complete. It is finished in Christ. And you guys need to sit in that and have faith in that and trust that before you then go play your part in what has already been accomplished. Now, I find this fascinating as well. The, the Sabbath was every seventh day. And then every seventh year was sort of a Sabbath year that even the land rested. They don't, uh, they don't plant on the seventh year uh, of, uh, of the farming cycle in order to give the land itself time to rest. We're actually going to do that on our farm as well. Um, and, uh, and it's in that cycle. Now, every, seven, every seventh day is the Sabbath. Every seventh year is this, this sort of Sabbath year. And then every 49th year, seven times seven, right, is, uh, leads into what they call the year of Jubilee. 
And this is the year, there's the, the mega Sabbath, where slaves are released and debt is canceled. And people who have been um, kind of displaced off their land, the land is given back to them. It's, it's a foretaste of the restoration of all things. And so the start of this year of Jubilee happens on the 49th year, the seventh month, and the 10th day. You'd think it'd be the seventh day, right? I mean, that makes sense. There's all this multiples of seven, but it's the 10th day. And I find this really amazing that how long were the apostles waiting between the ascension of Jesus and them in the giving of the Holy Spirit? 10 days. Because they are truly announcing the greatest year of Jubilee of all. When, when death itself has been canceled, when the debt of all the sin of all of mankind who come to faith in Christ is canceled. It all is a shadow of the things to come in Christ, and they are to sit in this. Now, the disciples are sinful, fearful people, just like we are. And so they don't use that 10 days and just kick back and go, this is great, just being able to rest in this. They're afraid, and they lock themselves in a room, and God still uses them anyway. And so we can take a lot of confidence in that too. But do you see this plan of God? He has a mission for us, but that mission begins with rest, that we work from our rest rather than resting from our work. This is a, this is a huge point here of what the Sabbath is about, that instead of working, 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 working until we get so exhausted that we, that we plan a vacation. And that vacation then is going to cost us lots of money that we just worked for. And it's going to be to a fabulous place. And it's going to be restful. I'm going to rest in this week. It is going to recharge me. I mean, we go into it like this with all these high hopes of going a week, I'll be fine, I promise. And it never works, right? You might've had a good time. You come back tired and then you're going back into work, but you go like, I got to gear up and go back to work now. That's because we've got it backwards. We need to rest in our confidence in who God is and his calling for us in our vocation, whether your vocation is work or school or parenting or keeping up the house or all of the things that we have to do uh, in our lives. Whatever that is, we start from a place of confidence and rest and joy in the Lord before we go into the work so that we can actually enter into the work with joy. Instead of having to muster up the energy, we get to go, all right, we're in, in God's sovereignty and in this beautiful creation that he's made and we're in it. And now we get to, we get to work with him in it. And our, even our work then can become a joy. That's not to say everything's easy. No, no. But what it is to say is that when we look around and we see a, we see a Sabbath-less world right now that is, that is high anxiety, high pressure, um, high, high conflict, Rest is not how I would describe our world right now. That's what we see. And we have six days of the week to try to untwist that. Oh yeah, we've got work to do. But it begins, it begins our first day is to sit and go, but God's going to be the one who untwists it all. He's the one who fixes it. You go into your parenting this way, you have six days to parent real hard. That doesn't mean you get to stop on the Sabbath. Like don't let your kids play with matches on the Sabbath. That's not how that works. But, but the Sabbath is for you to remember you know what? God loves your children more than you do. And he's actually the one that's parenting them in the end. How they turn out is not completely up to you. Relax. Do you have responsibility? Oh yeah, you do. And is it an important responsibility? Yes, but it's stewardship of what God ultimately owns. And so the Sabbath helps us to go, 
all right, I'm a parent, but whether my kid turns out healthy or not is ultimately up to God, and my job is to introduce them to God, who is the one who can do that for them. That's what Sabbath is about. Your vocation is about not just earning, 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 making, achieving, but to be able to say, how do I steward my profession? Because God is the one who's in charge and has given me to this profession. Whatever it is that is your other six days, we do it by the power of God, by the grace of God, by the, by the ethics and morality that God has given to us with the power of his Holy Spirit with us behind us. I, I just think, guys, just think about this, this miracle. God, the God who created all things, Everything from the little nucleus in an atom where all of the electrons spin around and then bonds between all of those different things that make up everything, all the way to the vast expanse of interstellar space. I mean, the hugeness of it all, right? He made all of that. And then he made you. And he knows you. And the scripture says that he knows how many hairs are on your head. So that in itself, that intimate connection with you and your needs is a beautiful, wonderful thing to know that your God knows you that well. And hear this, the first thing he tells you to do is to take a nap, right? Like, like recognize your place. You cannot fix everything or earn everything or achieve everything. You can't do it. You could never make an atom. You can never make the entire universe. I have, and I'm for you. So you first, just relax in that. Isn't it amazing that our God is so good that he doesn't go, I've made all this stuff. Now you better pay me back. Like you better achieve for me. You better, you better, be, uh, you better make sure that I'm happy with all that you do. The first thing he says is, take a nap. Relax in the fact that I'm in control. And I've made all this really beautiful stuff and this creation. Enjoy it. Just enjoy it. Stop your toil and enjoy. The Sabbath is a gift. It's a gift. And here's the thing. Like we, we innately know this to be true because if you're parents, you know that it's important for your small children to take a nap, right? And it goes badly and they resist you, right? They're like, I don't need a nap. You go, oh yes, oh yes, you do, right? It's gonna be a bad day the rest of the day if you don't get your nap, right? Then when they become teenagers, they stop yelling about taking naps and they start yelling about that they shouldn't have to go to bed when you tell them to, right? And as a parent, you're like, no, you need your rest. You need to go to sleep. And they're like, I don't need my rest. I'm fine. I can stay up until late, you know? And you're like, no, no, it's bad for all of us. Then they wake up grumpy the next day, right? Like it's innately built into us to know that we need rest. And where does that come from? How do we know that? Well, because we learned that from God our Father who has built it into us and told humanity to nap once a week. Somehow as adults, we forget this and we run ourselves ragged and we, uh, and we get exhausted and we get very grumpy because we don't take our naps. It's one of the problems with our world. If everybody could just relax and how do we truly, truly rest and relax? It's not just sitting on a beach. That's good. You can do that, right? That's good. But it's truly letting our hearts relax and our minds relax to say, I'm not in control and that's okay. That's what Sabbath is about. That's okay because why? Because I trust God. He gives us manna six days a week. He's gonna be able to provide for us who has saved us in Jesus Christ and let that affect every day 
by giving, by wrapping the rest of the week around that one day of true rest in him. So how, how do we do this? If as the church, our, our, uh, our work as the church should begin with being grounded in the gospel and being satisfied in what he has done and his completeness of that. And then we do toil for six days as well. And in our, and in our, in our individual lives and our vocation should begin in that place as well so that we don't, we don't uh, work until we have too much stress and then try to relieve the stress, but rather come at the beginning and say, let's put, put all of our anxieties on God and then work out of that peace. That's the goal of all of this. What are some ways that, that we do that? Just very practical ways. One, we see that you have to be very intentional. You have to schedule this. It won't just happen. You're always going to be Exodus 16 of going, I got, I got to gather. I got stuff to do. I got to, I got to do the things that I, there's so much that I still have to do. I can't stop. That's, that's the point of this is telling you, like God just didn't say, hey, if you can work it into your schedule, a really good, healthy thing to do is rest. He said, I command you to stop. He didn't give you a choice. He said, stop. Because he knows that we won't choose it ourselves because we like to be our own little gods in our own little universes, even though it kills us. Right? And so he commands it. So you have to be intentional about it to schedule when is that Sabbath. And that means saying no to some things. It might mean that you can't do every sports thing and you can't do every club and you can't do every work thing and you can't do even every church thing. Like you can't do all the things. You have to be able to go. There's a place for us to intentionally rest. It's a rhythm you have to create to have, a, to have discipline in your life to say, if you say I'm not going to work on a Sunday. Or if you say, well, but my schedule at work makes me work on a, on a Sunday. I can't get out. Then it doesn't make you work seven days a week. And if it does, get a different job. Like you got you to gotta figure something else out because that's going to kill you, right? So when is it that you're going to have that time of true rest? And you have to hold to it. Teach your children this. Kids, like you, you who are students, I know that school starts on Monday. So we want to put our studies off and our homework off until Sunday night. But then you enter into the week already stressed out. Get your work done so that on Saturday, so that on Sunday, you can have that time of rest and you enter into a place of rest before you go into the school week. You have to be intentional. You have to plan. You have to work through this. Sometimes plan in advance of things you need to do in advance. Sometimes intentionally plan to do nothing. Right? Just intentionally plan to just be in creation. And God's God, on that seventh day, looked around, looked at his creation, saw it was all good. So go be in his creation. I mean, go out into, into nature, go out into the farm out here, go out in the park, go out wherever it is. But sometimes go just be in creation or be a part of creating. Maybe there are some things like hobbies are actually things that God enjoys for you to do. I like to do woodworking on my day off. Um, why? Because it's something tangible. It's something, it's something that I can create. It's something that I can invest in. And in doing so, I'm learning more about the, uh, the, the image of my creator and how he has called me to participate in creating. with him. That's for me. That doesn't mean everybody has to do woodworking. And if you're a carpenter, you're like, that's not what I do on my day off, right? And so you do, you do something else. But what does it mean to truly rest? Where do you find that energy? Here's the other thing. You have to be intentional about protecting and honoring the Sabbath day, not just keeping, but honoring it. And here's one of the primary ways you have to do this. No matter who you are, you have to turn this off. You have to disconnect because if there's an icon, if there is a a sacrament of our illusion of control, it's this. We have to know every 
bit of information that's happening around the world at all times. And if we think about something and we don't know the answer to what it is, we have to immediately Google it right now so that we can have the answer right this minute. And nine times out of 10, they're useless things that you're gonna forget the next day, right? But we have to know right now. We have Life360 on our phones, so I know where my kids are every second of every day and how fast they're driving at any moment. It even tells me, it even tells me if they have hard braking. Like, I mean, it is, it's parental surveillance, right? And, and so now, all of a sudden, I have responsibility for my kids when they're not even with me all the time, right? And they need to get to me because if they have an emergency, then I have to be the one to fix it, and I can never put this down. And when you're a pastor, you've got 500 people in the church that you're like, what if somebody needs me at any moment? They need to be able to call me. I have to be able to go. I got to shut it down. I can't be that. No one could be that. You can't even be that for yourself or for your own kids, right? And so how do we intentionally get our faces out of our screens, shut them down and look around and see that what God created is good. Nurture your relationships and your family. Be together. Eat well together. If you're dieting, that's okay. Take care of yourself. Feast on Sabbath. Right? I mean, take that time to be able to go, how do we enjoy what God has given to us? Friends, the Sabbath is a gift and it begins with trust and it's a command to rest. And so if you remember nothing about this entire discussion of Acts 1 and 2, Genesis 1 and 2, remember this. God's telling you to take a nap. And you're much grumpier if you don't. He loves you, and he's given you this gift. Let's live into this witness to the world together, a different way of living, resting in our trust and our complete reliance upon God as a church and as people. Pray with me. Lord, help us to believe and trust. We, we even need your help in that, and clearly your scripture shows how often we neglect that trust. Help us to, to learn that we, have to, that we have to practice trusting and that Sabbath is part of practicing trusting. And help us to be students for you in this and parents uh, and workers. And Lord, help us to take a day. You've asked for one day to remember who you are and that you are in charge and to take the pressure off of our own shoulders and for us to laugh and enjoy one another and eat together. Help us to follow your command to rest and to Sabbath and to honor you. Let us be, Lord, a Sabbath people who work from their rest, not rest from their work. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.